welcome to Doctrine and Devotion, a podcast that explores Christian faith and practice from a Reformed Baptist perspective. My name is Joe Thorne. I'm the lead pastor of Redeemer Fellowship in St. Charles, Illinois. And most of you have gotten used to this, that uh, Jimmy is still in Europe. He's coming back soon. We will both be at the Southern Baptist Convention uh, coming up here soon in just about a week. So if you're going there, you can see us there. Maybe we'll hang out. Maybe it'll be a fight. Who knows what's going to happen? It's going to be, it's going to be a little crazy. So, um, you know, if, uh, if you're around, hit us up. We'll be on social media and maybe we can connect. Uh, while Jimmy's gone, uh, I've just been making hay, interviewing some amazing theologians. And, you know, I'm getting to know some guys that I haven't known before. But today, uh, today we're bringing on somebody that, uh, that's special to the podcast and, uh, and special to me. We're bringing on Dr. Jim the Man Renahan. How you doing, Jim? I'm doing well, Joe. How are you? I'm doing great. I'm so excited. Get to have you back yeah. on the podcast. Oh, it's good to see you, brother. In case you don't know, Dr. Renahan is the president of IRBS. That's the International Reformed Baptist Seminary. Uh, was just based out of Texas, but now you're you guys are like all over the place, aren't you? Well, we've developed relationships with uh, several different uh, entities in different countries. We're really thankful for that. Great seminary. We encourage everybody to check it out. We'll have all the links in uh, in the show notes and everything. You know, we really want our people to uh, to investigate. And if you're looking to go to a, a solid seminary with some great scholarship, then you're not going to do better than um, IRBS. So we want to encourage people to do that. So um, listen, you are uh, not only the president of IRBS, but you are an author, theologian, my favorite living theologian. Uh, <laughs> I love Dr. Renahan. And... Um, you you've been writing some stuff and now this is just my take like look at this here i have it right here i'm going to show you if you if you're watching the feed you can see this but <laughs> <laughs> i am holding over 300 pages of dr renahan's forthcoming book uh we shorthand call it uh, symbolics 2 um and uh but it's called to the is this the actual title to the judicious and impartial reader a contextual historical exposition of the Second London Baptist Confession of Faith is that is that the official title? Yeah, you have to take a deep breath before you say it. But <laughs> but yes, what's wrong with you? <laughs> that is, the, you don't want to just call it like cool talk or something like that. You want to uh, no, you want to go trend. No. You're not you're not that you're not you don't want to go you don't want to go hip. No, for the, the <laughs> for the books, there's going to be a volume three also, but Ooh. for each of these books, I've chosen a title that comes right out of the, yeah. the work I'm I'm dealing with. Yeah. Great. Well, listen, if, if you guys, some of you already got this. Um, Symbolics Volume 1 is called For the Vindication of the Truth, and that's an exposition of the First London Confession. Very good. Love that. Uh, this giant mamma jamma, though, uh, this is what I was going to say earlier. Uh, I think that this is the most important Baptist work to be written in, I don't know. A couple, cen- a couple, a couple centuries. No, this, this. I mean, no. we, we don't. I mean, we have, we don't have a proper systematic theology like a Reformed Baptist systematic theology, um, but and we have an exposition of the sixteen eighty nine, which is good. It's fine, but nothing like this. This is. Uh, I mean, I would call it a deep dive, and what I what I love about it, and I haven't been able to read all of it. I've been I've been working through it. I, I gave it to my secretary. I said, "Hey, listen, I need you to print this for me. I don't want to read it on my computer." And she's like, "It's really big." And I said, "Yeah." And she goes, "Can I print double sided?" I said, "No, I don't like that. I want one page for each. I got to take notes and stuff." So that's why I got this giant stack. 
But what I, one of the things I love about this is not only are you a trusted theologian, and I know you're going to walk us through it, you know, in a healthy way, uh, which is you would expect anybody to do who's writing an exposition on the confession, but you have really put this in its historical context. Can, can you explain why it's critical to understand church history and Baptist history in order to understand the confession of faith? Because it seems like a lot of people tend to take a confession and they just kind of roll, run with it and roll with it and almost as if they kind of make it up as they go along in their understanding. Why is the church history so important to understanding something like this? Yeah, you know, I've, I've met a lot of people, good good people, good men in good churches that uh, say that they hold to the 1689 confession, which is the second London. And uh, the more that I talk to them, they, I don't think they really understand it. They, they interpret it as if it's a document that comes from the 20th or 21st century. Mm. And they don't understand that there are um, issues behind many of the chapters, things that caused it to be written in the way that it did. And so what I wanted to do was set it in a, in a climate that could be understood. I, I, I illustrate it this way, Joe. Imagine, now it's first published in 1677, okay? Right. And it first appears in the the literature in August, late August of 1677. And it was agreed by the Petty France Church in London that it would be published. So imagine it's September 1677. It's brand new off the press. And you're you're a Christian living in London in one of the, the churches, one of the particular Baptist churches in London. And this has come to you. And you're sitting down in your living room at the end of the day. Uh, with uh, now it's August, so there's still some light until maybe eight o'clock in the evening. So you're able to sit in your chair and you can read it. How would you understand that? You're not a modern person. You're mm-hmm. not a 21st century individual. You're a 17th century member of one of these churches. How would you understand it? So I've tried to um, put the the doctrines, the the chapters of the confession, into that context, imagining that this is what was intended by the authors to be understood. Now, we can't get into their minds, okay? That, right. That's a, a faulty uh, idea to think, oh, we can get inside their minds and know what was there. But we can get into the context and we can see what are the, the ebb and flow of various theological issues that are present and why does the confession of faith state itself in the way that it does. Um, you know that it's based originally on the Westminster Confession and then on the 1658 Congregationalist adaptation of Westminster called the Savoy Declaration. And then 20 years later, along comes the Baptists. And so even the flow of thought from Presbyterian to Congregationalist to Baptist, and then the changes that the Baptists make, uh, I think it's 11 times they restore the Westminster Confession reading. Mm -hmm. In some places, even the very first sentence of the Confession, they add themselves to strengthen the doctrine of Scripture. So there's a lot that's going on there. And we, we can't just come to it and treat it as if it was written two years ago yeah. and understand it in our context. We need to know what, what they were intending and what they were saying. So, I mean, it has to do with, like, their influences, like, you know, what the sources that they trusted, uh, vocabulary, words, and what they were used. And I, I know that, you know, there, there are, there's, there's one key example, but I know that like, there are words, there's a particular word that the that the Baptists use that the Presbyterians didn't pick up until after the Baptists started using it. And I don't know if it's because the Baptists use it or that word came into, uh, you know, uh, a helpful use later on. But mm-hmm. so understanding like all of that and, and more is, 
is critical. So it's not like, you know, what we do is we do a lot of like meditations and devotional sort of thinking on doctrines and on these documents, which I think is good and helpful. But to properly understand it, we do need this background, which is why, I mean, for me, it's, a, it's, a, it's actually a thrilling and exciting read. Maybe I'm nerdy uh, in <laughs> that, but uh, just because it feels like, oh, wow, I'm being brought back uh, to a different time to have a better understanding of this document that so many of us really love and benefit from. Because with, with, with this work, I think we're going to have a much better grasp on what, even what the stakes are on some of these mm. doctrines. Because some people just, we just take things for granted. Like, you know, the doctrine of the Trinity. It's like, yeah, you know, one God, eternally existing, three persons, one nature. And that's about as, it's about as far as they go. And then people get into trouble because they don't understand what the stakes are. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, so when, when is this coming out? Like, um, Hopefully uh, in sometime in the fall Ooh. this year. Right. Uh, it's at the editor right now. Uh, I just received the forward yesterday and sent that on to the editor. So uh, everything, as far as I know, is ready. Uh, it just has to be proofread and, and then sent to uh, founders for the, the printer and all. But the goal is to have it out October, something like that. What is a good way for people to use the confession and for people to use this exposition? Like what, what are some of the like, common, I mean, I, I, I don't even know common because I don't know that many people use confessions very well mm -hmm. um, and certainly not an exposition of it. So what are, what are some good uses that Christians and churches uh, can adapt for mm -hmm. uh, leveraging both the confession and what you've written? Yeah, um, well, there's a couple of things. If a church adopts the confession, it does so because it believes it's teaching what the Bible teaches. And it's I've, I've been in congregations where it's very appropriate, where they, they'll read a section, uh, maybe the, the first paragraph of the chapter on justification by faith, and then the next week, the second paragraph, and the third paragraph, and, and so on. And that way, it is helping the people of God to be instructed in good doctrine. I think when pastors can uh, insert into their preaching mm -hmm. a quotation here and there and show that uh, what the confession says is consonant with what the scriptures say. And so it becomes what Spurgeon said, a, a help to guide us along the way in our understanding of what the Bible teaches. Mm -hmm. and, yeah. and the exposition hopefully just um, shows how that language used in the 17th century was understood by those churches and can be recognized today. Well, I know one of the things that um, that that we do, and we're increasingly doing, is in our liturgy where we incorporate. Um, we have a lot of readings, right? So mostly scripture mm -hmm. readings, mm -hmm. um, and we've always we have for a long time used selections from the Valley of Vision. Okay, as responsive readings, right? We love mm -hmm. the Valley of Vision, uh, and then you know, creedally and confessionally, we'll incorporate aspects, uh, but not in uh, a. Uh, sort of a not in a scheduled sense hmm. and uh, I think that would be a good thing for us to do is sort of like let's actually schedule this so that we can begin to walk people through it and hmm. one of the things that we did was uh, once we got our elder team uh -huh. built up or we maybe we brought somebody on um, I just walked the entire elder team through the 1689 paragraph by paragraph every time we met we meet on we meet at least two times a month or two times uh -huh. a week no Two times a month, <laughs> every other week, roughly, every other week. And so we would, um, 
you know, we would just go through that paragraph by paragraph and we're looking to bring on more elders and I would love for us to read through the exposition together. I think mm. uh, that's going to prove to be really fruitful, but mm. man, it's a, it's a big one. Mm. <laughs> it is. They, they project about 500 pages. <laughs> yeah. This is over 300 on eight and a half by 11. So uh, with some, so it's, yeah, it's going to be, I'm, it's going to be, but oh man, I'm, it's going to be great. One of the things that, uh, you know, sometimes people, uh, you know, push back on is, is even just the name uh, that we oftentimes use, Reformed Baptist. Uh-huh. And um, is, you know, some people would say, well, you know, you guys never called yourselves that before. Why are you doing it now? You know, it seems to have come about mostly like in the, in the, in the late 20th century, mid 20th century, late 20th century. Uh-huh. Um, why, why use that term? And is it justifiable? We think it is, but can you explain why we favor that term? Yeah, well, that's, there's two questions there. Um, yes, you're right. It appears uh, in the 1950s out of the circle of men who were, there were some Baptists who were working at Westminster Seminary in Philadelphia um, and involved in a church plant in central Pennsylvania. And it's out of that circle that the term originates and then you know just grows exponentially in the 20th century and on into the 21st. Um, it, it was, and, and maybe it was people at Westminster Seminary who gave it to these Baptists. Hmm. You know, it, I, I, I haven't nailed that down. I don't know. Uh, and I don't know if I ever will, because most of those people have gone on to heaven at this point. Um, and I understand objections that are used to it, because Reformed, in a, in a technical sense, refers to churches on the European continent related to uh, Geneva, Switzerland, the Netherlands, etc. I, I can understand that. But uh, like Calvin or Calvinism, uh, the word Reformed has sort of attached itself to a broader perspective that involves uh, what we call Calvinism, and it re- involves a high view of Scripture and the orthodox doctrine of the Trinity and the person of Christ and justification by faith alone, and all of those things that go beyond uh, the so-called five points of Calvinism. So um, it, it's useful um, in, in the sense that it identifies that big picture theology that comes out of the Reformation. Now, I, I, I agree with, uh, as I said, I, I respect those who kind of think Reformed and Baptists don't belong together because part they would say part of the Reformed system is infant baptism and we don't practice that, so we're not really Reformed. Okay, I, I get that. And we could use a term like covenantal Baptist or, you know, particular Baptist doesn't sound very good in the 21st century. It, it, yeah. it, what are you particular about? That, you know, right. that would open up a conversation. So we've inherited the term. It's, I think it's useful. I might prefer something else like covenantal Baptist, but it, it identifies us broadly. And part of the, the, the I hope one of the benefits of this book, <clears throat> excuse me, will be that it, it demonstrates the placement of the confession of faith within that English Puritan and reformed stream. Mm. Uh, you know, you, you've seen it. I, I envisioned it. How do, how do you interpret this doc, this body of doctrine? Well, first I was looking at the, the writers who adopted it, but one of the realities, they publish a lot of things, but one of the realities of the books that they published in the 17th century is that they tended to be about baptism and they didn't address a lot of broader subjects. So when that's the case, and when the language of the confession agrees with 
the Savoy Declaration of 1648 or the Westminster, it's fair game to look at the, the authors uh, or the writers who subscribe to those confessions right. when the language is the same and ask them, how did you interpret that? And then even to go behind them, you'll see William Perkins, for example, occur in many places in the confession because Perkins is very important around the year 1600 as laying a foundation upon which others have built. So, so I, you know, I see this as concentric circles, the particular Baptists, then the Congregationalists, then the Presbyterians, then the broader, broader Reformed community. Uh, I mean, Calvin appears in various places in, in this work. So it's, it, I think that the confession of faith and the exposition helps to show that there is a, a family resemblance that we have to this post-Reformation movement that's not Lutheran, um, and it's not uh, Anabaptist. It is specifically part of the Reformed tradition. That's great. That's great. I, you know, I, I first, first of all, I don't care about like I, I use the term Reformed Baptist, and mm. uh, people like yeah. you can't call it. Like, okay, fine. Like I, like I'm, I'm not going to fight yeah. about it. Right. Um, but I, I view it like, listen, the we used the the Savoy and the Westminster uh, in in part. My understanding is in part because we wanted to show unity uh like we wanted to show like we're with you guys like we're not anabaptist weirdos we we are covenantal you know baptists yep. and we yep. we walk with you in so many areas and to use the term reformed baptist i i view it as a as a as a humble plea like hey listen mm -hmm. we yeah. we respect you we have learned so much from you we've ripped you off <laughs> we give you credit but uh, yep. you know like I, I view it as a as a as a humble plea more than an arrogant like oh you know we're the real reformed people i don't view it like that oh, yeah you're you're exactly right you know when the confession was published in uh 1677 and then in 1688 it included a a, a foreword and that's where the title of the book comes from. Mm -hmm. the, the the letter at the beginning was called "To the Judicious and Impartial Reader," and there's a there's a wonderful phrase in there as they make their argument for why they're publishing, and they they state in clear terms that they have used the 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 Westminster Confession and the Savoy Declaration, and they say that is because we have no desire, we have no itch to clog religion with new words. No. What a great phrase! So great. Why 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 redo it? when we have this common faith upon which we can agree. Mm. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you why we do it now, because we want to sell them books. <laughs> we want to get them clicks. That's why, you know, we like to come up with our own way of saying and doing things. Yeah. And th that brings you to an another question I wanted to ask you. You know, the, the confession, of course, is, is very, very helpful, but an exposition, which is essentially, you know, teaching, right? It's teaching on these doctrines. It's, this is really important for us, but do you see any current theological trends that that Baptists are engaging or struggling with that something like this exposition will be particularly helpful with? Well, I, I hope so. And and yes, uh, I mean, the, the forefront issue today, it's uh, early June in 2022, is the doctrine of God. Mm -hmm. And how is the doctrine of God to be understood? Well, I've been working on this for a long time, and, and I've consulted with uh, some really sharp guys. And I think that, uh, you know, the way that the confession states the doctrine of God is both Catholic with a lowercase c, it, it, it is tied to the history of the church, and it expresses orthodoxy. Uh, another issue upon which there, there's discussion today is the matter of uh, who Christ is. Uh, the, the 
two natures, one person, mm. and how that that uh, you know should be framed and understood. So chapter eight becomes very important. Likewise, as many of us, many of us. Now I'm, I'm 20 years older than you are, but still at least. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Probably more like <laughs> I mean, fifty, right? I yeah. Mean, thanks. I, I don't really know how old you are. I don't know if anybody knows, but I'm just turning fifty. So I think you're. you're way well, then there. I'm not twenty years no, old. No, you're, you're just not. turning fifty. But and you just made me lose my train of thought. <laughs> <laughs> that, welcome to the podcast. <laughs> yeah, yeah. This is how we do it. We interrupt each other uh, with nonsense. Go but, on. I'm but sorry. I'm old. What, what What were you saying? Uh, remind me. Um, we, where listen, was I? We need Jimmy here to help us with this because I'm always like, "What was I saying?" And then Jimmy tells me. Without Jimmy. I'm yeah. untethered and and you're untethered. But we were talking about the theological issues um, that this document's oh, yeah. going to help That's us it. with. We we come out of dispensationalism. Right. You know, when I came to faith, uh, I thank God for the church where I came to faith and where I was nurtured. Well, they love the very, word of God, those dispensationalists. Oh, absolutely. It was a very fine church. But covenantalism has been, is or is in the process of being recovered mm as over against the dispensationalism that dominated evangelicalism in the 20th century. So that becomes an important issue. And and you've seen my outline of the confession, yeah. how I argue that from chapter 7 all the way through chapter 20, it's uh, it's the skeleton or the architecture, I'm using the language of D.B. Warfield, is all about covenant theology. So that, that becomes an important issue for us as well. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, the... The and I've, I've been having guys on, you know, we, the guys that I've been bringing on are you know, we're focusing on, you know, a lot of theology proper, Trinitarian theology, uh, you know, classical theism, mm-hmm. uh, things like that, uh, you know, sola scriptura, uh, mm-hmm. and what that means and what it doesn't mean, the danger of biblicism, mm-hmm. and so like, and what I've read so far has really helped in in that particular area. It's showing mm-hmm. like that we aren't biblicists. You know, mm-hmm. like Baptists historically, you know, for the Reformed Baptists certainly were not that mm-hmm. uh, we have a, a, a philosophical framework that we mm-hmm. we are little C Catholic in mm-hmm. this way. Can you speak to this issue of of biblicism and confessionalism and mm-hmm. why the two are, are at polar ends and, and why we encourage people toward confessionalism? Yeah, you know, it's interesting. Um, we recorded a, a podcast yesterday or the day before for theology in particular. And Great we've podcast. Been, w- thank you. We're, we're uh, preparing a six-part series on believer's baptism, okay? And one of the points that, uh, that Joe made, um, all my podcasts are with guys named Joe. The, the, the better Joe, go ahead. Yeah, that one. Yeah, uh, he made the point that uh, our defense of believer's baptism is not proof texting, which is common among a lot of Baptists. Well, you know, you look at Matthew 28, and you look at this and that, and oh, that solves the case. And our Presbyterian friends say, uh-uh, there's, there's a, you need to have a theological argument. We, we don't have just a proof-texting argument for believer's baptism. We have a robust theological argument for it. And that's what confessionalism provides to us. Biblicism tends to devolve into just proof-texting. Uh, okay, here's a verse, and this verse says this, therefore, that's the whole story where actually the verse might not say that. Um, uh, you, you know, when you get in the arguments with uh, about the extent of the atonement, it's real easy to get into biblicism and proof texting, because those who deny the doctrine of definite atonement can just turn to a couple of texts and say, look, here, deal with that. It says all and all means all, et cetera, et cetera. Well, you and I disagree with that because we have worked on those texts 
carefully in the light of the rest of the Bible. And a confession of faith puts the, the narrow, focused uh, item of theology into a large context and helps us to see connections. One of the things I, I tried to do in the book uh, is to show how an item or statement in one chapter is related to things that go before and things that come after. And so you have to, you know, my word for this is reading the confession sideways. It's not just 32 discrete chapters that are can be isolated from each other so you can deal with the doctrine of Scripture and then you can go to, to right. chapter 26 and deal with the church. But there's a relationship between the doctrine of Scripture and the doctrine of the church and all of the rest. And the, a confession of faith helps us to see that robust theology that that in which there are profound connections between things and it takes us out of that proof texting uh mode of thinking which is what biblicism is yeah and it, it, it's hard like one of the things you know when I, I can't remember who i was talking to but like biblicism sounds like such a good word you know it's like, people are like why would i not want to be a biblicist and uh but what it is it's 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 a misunderstanding of it's a misunderstanding and a misapplication of sola scriptura. Mm-hmm. And it, it really makes the individual, yes. uh, the, 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 the arbiter of, of truth right. and, and, the, and the, the measure of what is orthodox and what mm-hmm. isn't. It's, it, yeah. I'm, listen, I'm a mess. I, I rely on teachers and like, we're, mm-hmm. like the scripture calls us to. Mm-hmm. I look to the greats to guide me through this. And we have 2,000 years of the best you know, theologians to pull from. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So for, for me, like, yes, Sola Scriptura, Scripture is our authority in, in all faith and practice. But mm-hmm. the idea that we can approach it in some sort of a vacuum mm-hmm. where uh, we don't need the teachers that God has given the church is very strange. Yeah, it leads to idiosyncratic um, opinions, developments, theologies. How many times have you or I, or even the, the people who are uh, listening to the podcast here, how many times have we encountered someone who says, this is biblical, and there's somebody else who comes along and says the opposite, this is biblical. Right. Well, right. Who's, who's right and who's wrong? Uh, it's easy to pull the texts and throw the texts and your proof texting and you're claiming to be biblical. Well, put it into the context of the history of the church and how the Holy Spirit has led uh, the great minds of the church to think through these things and put it into the context of the whole flow of theology, you're going to be taken away from that, I'm, I'm biblical, this is biblical, and you're going to say, this fits into uh, the entirety of the, of the spectrum of theology. That makes, it, uh, that makes it much easier to say, this is what the Bible teaches. Yeah, it, for me, it's, well, the, the, there is a lot of hubris uh, mm. among certain uh, teachers or authors or whatever preachers where they really set themselves apart and from everyone mm-hmm. else. And they, mm-hmm. that for me, that's super concerning. I, I think Sola Scriptura and confessionalism encourages humility. Mm-hmm. So like, I'm, I mean, mm-hmm. and when I do have to disagree, um, you know, with like this past um, Sunday, uh, you know, I, I, I took issue with the interpretation of a word in a text uh, in, in an English translation. And I, extremely rare that I do that. I want our people to trust their English yep. Bibles. I want exactly. them to read it and know yep. it. So I don't, I do the Greek work in the background mm-hmm. and I just go, Hey, the idea behind this word is, and that's about it. Right. I don't, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but I had to say like, listen, I, there are better translations here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so the one that yep. we tend to use gets this wrong. And yep. I'm very cautious about that. And it, 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 I, as I 
you know, and, and but I get to that point by looking at our tradition or at, at scholars that help me to to understand. So I think a, a proper understanding of sufficiency and confessionalism really promotes humility, so that I don't say, "Hey, believe me, oh, I'm yeah. right." I go, "No, no, no. Look at look at where we're coming from. Look at these this body of scholars that have articulated this." And so it's not just me. It's 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 a particular approach to scripture and in a particular understanding of of the word and, and of the doctrine of God or whatever. Yeah, you're you're exactly right because uh, I I think the the proper way to approach Christian theology is to say I should not trust myself. I need to have others teach me and help me, and that's what a confession of faith does. It it it's in the stream of the long tradition of Christian theology, and it it teaches me. I, I'm glad to submit to it. Because it teaches what the scriptures teach. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's good, and I think we we need that. So we've got a a giant book, a tome, really is what it is. It's a doorstop. A, let's a, be honest. Oh no, this doesn't. Uh, Grudem is a doorstop. Okay, <laughs> I mean, I'm not hating, but that's a doorstop. This, uh, you know, what? you're on a, I'm a footnote in that book, though. Oh, are you really? I don't. I, I missed this. I really am. Yeah, look me up in the index. So, I wrote a paper for him when I was in my PhD program, and he liked it. Oh, but it was it was too late in the process to incorporate it into the uh, the book, so it's just a footnote. Okay, I'm yeah. guessing it wasn't about eternal generation. Uh, <laughs> no, it was about the the gift of the Holy Spirit. Good, good. You know, yeah. I am footnoted in a book. Uh, okay, I'm footnoted in a book against Calvinism. Oh, oh, right. <laughs> some Southern okay. Baptist wrote some book. I mean, and I don't need somebody must have somebody read it and sent it to me. They're like, hey, you're a you're footnote into like making fun of something I said, or I don't know what it is. But that's the only time I got uh, footnoted. So mm-hmm. no scholarship on my end. Just I'm a, yeah. I'm a good I'm an easy target, yeah. I guess, for for uh, Arminians. I don't know. I don't know why they would care what I have to say. But uh, Jim, thank you for coming on. Thank you for uh, this work. I mean, people we've been waiting for this. We, I mean, you and I've been talking about this for years and mm-hmm. I know you've been working on it for decades. How long have you been working on this? Uh, about, well, I did my PhD work on the confession of faith and that was in the, uh, the middle 1990s. So 25 years. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I mean, the, so i we, we need this. This is great uh, to the judicious. Re- We're just going to call it symbolics volume two. All right, that's, that's fine. I'm, I'm that's call the it. subtitle. Yeah, yeah. I like that. Like that's, that's brandable. That could be T-shirts. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about merch, okay? We'll, we'll go offline. <laughs> we'll get some merch going. That, that'll support like future endeavors and stuff. That, okay. Hey, by okay, the way, yeah. what you said there's a volume three. What's volume three? Volume three. Well, volume one is First London. Yep. Volume two is Second London. Volume three is going to be on the Baptist Catechism. Oh, but, nice. But yeah, I'm not going to repeat the work of Thomas Watson and Thomas Vincent, who are contemporaries, yeah. deal with the shorter catechism, great stuff. There are 18 questions where the Baptist catechism differs from the shorter catechism. So I'm only going to uh, go into depth on those 18 questions. Nice. Now, now when, when the Baptist catechism was first published, its title was a brief, um, a brief instruction in principles of Christian religion. Okay. That was its title. So my title is a very brief instruction <laughs> in principle of, of Christian religion. Nice. So it won't be, it won't be a doorstop, uh, It'll be a paperweight. Okay, paperweight. Yeah. yeah, if yours is a paperweight, then my books are bookmarks. 
That's what oh, uh, that's what my little my little things are, man. Uh, well, listen, uh, we love um, IRBS and the new name. Uh, you know, it was uh, it was a little different before. Now the uh, International Reform Baptist Seminary. We're encouraging everybody to go and check that out. Um, are you on social media? I don't. Uh, I can't find you on no. social media. I didn't think so. It's probably better. No. There's not there's not much good going on there. Uh, yeah, and I, you know, I am so busy. Um, I, I, I last. Oh, this, since the beginning of the year, I've been straight out, and I'm thankful for that. It's been there have been lots and lots of good things happening, but I, I don't have the time to uh, look at all that stuff and read it, and you know, I just can't do it. So you'd probably just get annoyed, anyways. Probably, <laughs> and if there's some, if there's something that uh, that I need to see, uh, our short friend in Southern California uh, usually sends me the link to look at it. Yeah, he 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 gets the stuff, and and, and some I know like sometimes. He gets the stuff from other people that send it to him, and then he yeah. passes it on. But yeah, he's yeah. a good resource. And by the way, that interview you did with him was really great. Yeah, well, he's, I mean, talking to smart guys that are conversational is mm-hmm. easy. You yeah. know, like I just, yeah. yeah, and that's like when I was talking to him, I said, listen, I need you to recommend some guys that I can talk to, but they've got to be able to have a conversation. Mm-hmm. because it's brutal and no one's going to enjoy it if they can't just talk. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, it's been great. And obviously you're a friend and everybody knows you. We appreciate you. Thanks for coming on. And uh, so, yeah, you can't follow him on social media, but uh, check out the links in the show notes below and you guys can uh, pick up some of the books. Definitely want you to go ahead and get For the Vindication of Truth, Baptist Symbolics, Volume 1. Get that. Get going through that. And then you'll be ready for Volume 2 when it drops this fall. Uh, listen, if you want to support the podcast, you can head on over to DoctrineAndDevotion.com slash All Access. That is a way you can get additional commercial-free content, the Banter of Truth podcast, as well as our uh, daily devotionals that come out five days a week, uh, Monday through Friday. You can find us online at Doc and Devo, both uh, Twitter and Instagram, or Facebook, Facebook.com slash Devotion. Thanks for listening, guys. We appreciate you. And listen, if this video thing worked out, and if you like it, let us know, and we will do more. We appreciate you all. God bless. God bless.